your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24. I'm going to start a new series of sermons today. It's only going to last the month of June. Four messages on marriage. Four messages on marriage. Uh, Even though I've been married for 32 years, I am no expert. That is for sure. Hopefully, we're going to learn some things together about marriage. This series is entitled, You, Me, We. You, me, we. I'm looking at Angie right now. You, me, we. That's that's it. You got that? It's pretty simple. You, me, we. Famous love stories of the Bible. And we're going to look at some juicy ones, man. Famous love stories of the Bible. As a matter of fact, though, really, we have some pretty famous love stories right here in our church. Don't we? I mean, we got some great love stories right here. In fact, I got a couple of pictures I want to show you of. Look at that, would you? Wow. Let me just turn around and look how sweet that is. What? Do y'all know who that is? It, it's Johnny and Lucas. Do you know that's your parents? <laughs> yeah, looking for those glasses. Those are cool glasses. You know what captures me about this picture, though? It's the way Miss Gail is just melting on Brother Johnny's shoulder. Isn't that? I mean, look at you. You're just, oh, man. You didn't have any earthly idea what you were getting into, did you? <laughs> Honestly, she didn't know she would one day be little Billy. <laughs> so, that's, I, I celebrate with Johnny and Gail their great marriage. Celebrate that with me. What a great marriage that is. That's awesome. Picture number two. These, these are staff pictures. Do you know who that is? That is Ray and Charlotte. We, yeah, it, it just dawned on some of you. What, what we did, we took a vote as a church staff. We were wondering if Ray got arrested for robbing the cradle right there. I mean, they were in first service. I don't see him out here. She looks like she's 12 years old, doesn't she? Now, Ray assures me they were both 19. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? Ray, Ray and Charlotte have been married 41 years now. Isn't that great? 41 years. And, and here's what he told me. He told me, he said, Brother Will, I love her more today than I did 41 years ago. Isn't that great? That's great. Give them a big hand. Wonderful. Picture number three. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. Wow. Lord have mercy. Great. Yeah, the force is strong with this one. Christy, you're beautiful. You are beautiful right there. Wow. He, he, he loved his hair back then, didn't he? <laughs> he loved his hair back then. It is awesome, man. That's awesome. Hey, you know, honestly, uh, we were joking, and, and Dave, Dave told me, he said, this is the one that wasn't supposed to make it right here, but... Hey, it has, and it's thriving, and we're proud of Dave and Christy. What great heroes they are to us. Well, here we go. Well, I'm going to be highlighting some couples every week, so just come back for the pictures, man. All right. if, if, the, if the series stinks, come back for the photos. They're going to be great. Well, here's what I know. The Bible contains many true stories about married couples. Some of them that we're going to read about over the next few weeks are really strong while others of them really struggled. But you know what? We can learn from each important truths 
on how we can move our marriage from struggling to strong marriages. Today we're going to look at the love relationship between Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac was the son of Abraham. He became the father of Jacob. In fact, in the Bible, God is often called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because they were the first generations of God's covenant people from which would come the promised Messiah. And part of that family tree is the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. So we're going to read today about how it all began for them in Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to start reading in verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. He said, hot diggity dog. We'll get to that in a minute. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask God to bless your marriage. Heavenly Father, I love you today, and I thank you for the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, over the next few minutes as we learn from your word, I pray that you would open both our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray for a blessing to fall on every marriage here today. And and even though we're going to get really specific today, Lord, and and maybe say some things that uh, may offend a few people, I pray, dear Lord, that... uh, that the devil wouldn't allow, that God wouldn't allow the devil to do that, and and that the words that are spoken would fall on hearts and and minds that are ready to not only receive the truth but ready to change their life so that their marriages can be better. We love you, Lord, and I just dedicate this entire time to you. Uh, take and use it for your kingdom in Jesus' name, Amen. So here's what we're going to do for the next couple of minutes. Uh, We're going to take time and and flip through Isaac and Rebecca's biblical marriage album. And we're going to see some good and some bad. In fact, the the old Clint Eastwood movie, Good, Bad, and Ugly. All right, we're going to see all of it here today. I have four very important ingredients for a strong marriage. And the first one is this. If you want your marriage to last, it needs to start right. All right? It needs to be built on a divine foundation. Genesis chapter 24 is a long chapter, but it's entirely devoted to explaining this supernatural beginning to Isaac and Rebekah's relationship. You see, Abraham was concerned that his son not marry one of the pagan women from Canaan. I mean, if Isaac was going to carry on the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, then Isaac's future mate must be a woman through whom God can work. And so Abraham sent his servant to his own homeland where he knew there would be a woman who believed in the true and living God. And he gave this assignment to that servant. I want you to go back to my homeland and find a good woman for my son. So here is the divine foundation to this marriage. 
And I think it's a really important marriage principle. If you're here today and you're single and you're starting to look for the mate that, that uh, you might uh, share your life with, it is really, really, really important that you seek God as you seek the person whom he would have you marry. I mean, you need to be praying and say, God, you make sure that I pick the right one. You make sure that, that the right one comes into my life. Uh, I'm, let me tell you, it's, it's better to go through life single than to marry the wrong person. So you ask God to bring that person into your life. And one of the most important requirements for a believer in seeking a mate is that the person should also be a believer. I mean, if you're a Christian, you need to be praying and looking and dating only other Christians. You know, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And not just someone who calls himself a Christian. You need to make sure that that person is walking with God. Why? Well, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So, bottom line is this. Father Abraham was concerned that his son Isaac would marry the right woman. In those days... Marriages were typically arranged by the parents. Aren't you glad they don't do that anymore? Right. Often the children had little to say about the person that uh, their son or daughter would marry. And so the fact is, Abraham asked his servant, one of his trusted servants, to go to his homeland and find a mate for his son Isaac. Can you imagine the immense pressure that was now put on that servant? I mean, have you ever thought about that? You, you've just been given a huge task as Abraham's servant to, to go these many miles and find the right woman for your master's son to marry. What a scary job. And this was no dummy of a servant. He knew that he needed help. And so uh, here's, what, here's what it says about the story. Genesis chapter 24. He prayed to the Lord. It says in verse 12, then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, that she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened. Before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of, of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very, very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her picture and she came up. And you know what? She was the woman because she not only gave that servant a drink, she also gave a drink to all of his camels. And the servant was saying, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Uh, again, this was an incredibly important union between Isaac and Rebekah. It was, it was at the foundation of God's covenant with Isaac's father Abraham. Isaac and Rebekah would be the parents of Jacob. 
Later on, God would change Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob's sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel through whom God would bless the entire world and from whom would come our Messiah, Jesus Christ. So the marriage between Isaac and Rebekah was a very key, important link in the chain of God's activity as he presented the Messiah to the world. But you know what? I got to thinking every marriage, every single marriage is important in this respect. Hmm? Your marriage is important in this respect. It is God's desire and God's design for the marriage between a man and a woman to be a part of his redemptive activity through the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul outlines some of the most extensive teaching about Christian marriage. He talks about the God-given responsibility of the husband. He said, you husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So do you begin to see the analogy that Paul is building here? Christ loved the church so much so that he gave his life for the church, didn't he? And he's saying, you husbands love your wives the same way. And then he talks about the God-given responsibility of the wife to make sure that she respects her husband, just like the church is to respect Christ. For by doing this, the marriage between a Christ-following man and a Christ-following woman is a powerful picture of the redemptive relationship between Christ and his church. In fact, Paul said this in Ephesians 5.32. He said, this is a profound mystery. It's a mind-boggling mystery, he said. But what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church. So, there must be a divinely spiritual foundation to each marriage. Fact of the matter is, I, don't, I really don't know how marriages make it without Christ at the very center of them. I really don't. It is imperative that Jesus be at the center of your life and the center of your marriage. And as all of this unfolds, Rebecca's family sees God's hand in all of this. And they came to this conclusion. Genesis chapter 24, verses 50 and 51. Laban, who was Rebecca's brother, and Bethuel, her father, answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. I really think that's the single most important thing any of us as parents could want for our children as they prepare for marriage. What is it? Well, it's right here. He said, this is from the Lord. I mean, listen, if my kids have to get married... I want it to be from the Lord, don't you? Hmm? And her family was confident that the Lord had directed the whole process. And that is the way a successful marriage begins. That God directs a man and a woman together. And he blesses the man and the woman together. Another positive thing we see about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah here. Is that there is a loving connection between the two of them. Genesis 24, 67. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. 
and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, the interesting thing about this to me is up to this point, they, have, they haven't really seen each other. I mean, uh, she was in the caravan of camels, and he was across the field meditating, and they, they looked up, and they, they saw images. But you know how it is when you're looking maybe a couple of hundred yards away? You can't really, I mean, I can't really see you people. Oh, I shouldn't say I can't see you people in the balcony. I really really can't. That doesn't give you the right to go to sleep while I'm preaching, all right? But, you know, I mean, that far away, you can't can't really see each other's faces. Isaac was in the field meditating. He looks up. He sees this caravan of camels. Rebecca asks, who's that man out there in the field? And the servant says, that's your husband-to-be. And as the custom was of the day, the Bible says that she jumped off the camel, took a veil, covered her face. Now, the servant knew how beautiful Rebecca was. But Isaac doesn't. He, he doesn't have any idea what this servant has drunk up to his house. And the next thing we see is Isaac is taking her into his mother's tent which was now his home. Okay, Mama died. She left an inheritance to her son of her tent, I suppose. I don't know. But he's taking his, his new girlfriend, his new wife, into this tent. She becomes his wife. They get married in the tent. And the crazy thing is, he still doesn't know what she looks like. Now, dude, I can remember reading this when I was a teenager, and I was just wondering... You know, as a teenager, I was thinking, man, what, what, what did he really think when she lowered that veil? I mean, what did he think? Yeah, maybe, sure. <laughs> I don't know. The, maybe he's thinking, ka-ching, <laughs> wow, ba-ba-bam, woo-hoo. I mean, it does say she's beautiful, but, you know, I, I have no idea. Some, some guys are weird. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he didn't want a good-looking woman. I don't know. You know, this came to me in the first sermon when I was preaching it earlier. Maybe he really was looking for a cooker and not a looker. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what he thought. That's right. It doesn't matter. Get this, it really doesn't matter what he thought because Isaac made the choice to love Rebekah. He made it a choice. She was the woman God had chosen for him. And what a great way to begin a relationship as husband and wife with this kind of loving connection. It doesn't just say that Isaac married Rebekah. It says she became his wife and he loved her. He made it a choice to love her. And really, that is the biblical responsibility of every single husband in this room. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Men, listen to me. It is a choice that we make to love. Feelings are fickle. Feelings come and go. That kind of love, if it's based on feelings, can fade and get stale and get cold. The kind of love we're talking about here is a choice that we make. I choose to love. 
And it's not just a one-way street. Isaac loved Rebekah, but it says Rebekah comforted Isaac. The loneliness that he felt after his mother died was overshadowed by this comforting love of his wife, Rebekah. So what a great beginning, right? God brought them together. And it is really a cool story how he, he brought this couple together. Man, it's like he was from Midland, Texas, and she was from Corning, Arkansas. And somehow, God just brought them together. It's a great story. And, and it's awesome that they started in love. They loved each other. Well, I wish we could just close the book and go home. That'd be great right there, but there's the rest of the story. Something happened. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage began to deteriorate in at least two very dangerous, very subtle ways. The, the first thing that we see missing in their relationship was this exclusive devotion to one another. Now, here's how most marriages start. They start silly in love, don't they? I mean, you're just crazy in love, you know? It's just, and it's a goofy kind of love. I mean, you know, I've told you the story about my roommate at, at Hillsdale uh, that was in love with, uh, Mike was in love with Tina, and he'd call her every night, Tina, Tina, I love you, I love you. That's all he could say to her is, I love you. Remember the first time we met Tina? Oh, I love you, I love you. The, me and the other roommate was over there, you know, like gagging. <laughs> Dude, we don't care that you love her. Shut up, you know? I love you, Tina. I love you. I love it. Here's what it, it starts out in love. But you know what? You got to stay in love. It's easy to fall in love, but to keep the love fiery hot, you got to work at it. And let me tell you, sometimes it's harder than other times. But you got to stay in love. In the course of time, that didn't happen with Isaac and Rebecca. God did bless their union with children, if you want to call it a blessing. Twin sons, they named Jacob and Esau. In fact, I'm going to fast forward to Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, the dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Rebekah, the mama, loved Jacob. Retro. That's where the trouble began. It, it, it's really interesting. It, it appears when you study this family album that, that they were actually closer to their children than they were to each other. You know what? That, that is not at all uncommon. In fact, it's, it's, it's more common than, than not. When a, when a husband and wife have a poor relationship with each other, they, they generally turn to their children as a substitute relationship to fill the emptiness in their own hearts and souls. Isaac and Rebekah seemed to be more wrapped up in the lives of their kids than they were with each other. And when this is the case, what happens when the kids grow up? And leave home. Well, the husband and wife stare at each other and wonder, who, who are you? Yeah. We, we've spent our entire married life focused on our kids, and now we don't even know each other. Do we really need each other? 
sometimes the distraction in the marriage comes with the children. Sometimes there's an unhealthy obsession with one's parents. Sometimes a, a, a wife or a husband can't cut the cords with their parents. And it becomes an unhealthy relationship. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 19, 5, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Exclusive devotion means that your love for each other as a husband and wife overshadows your devotion to your children or to your parents or to your job. Or to your hobbies. Or anyone or anything else but the Lord. Really if you had a flow chart of it. Here's how the flow chart should look. Your devotion and your love should be number one to Jesus Christ. He's got to have it all. Lock, stock and barrel. I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Everything. He's got to be number one on the list. But you know what? If you're married, number two on the list should be your spouse. And then the kids and the job and, and then everything else. Well, th this, this flaw in Isaac and Rebecca's marriage led to, listen to me, this led to one of the most hideous schemes of deception that's recorded in the Bible. And it points out another important ingredient to a healthy marriage that was missing in Isaac and Rebecca's marriage, number four is my last one, and that is healthy communication in marriage. Sometimes couple thinks, couples think that if we just have kids, it's going to solve all our problems. <laughs> You're just asking for more. The, the twins that are born to Isaac and Rebecca only agitate and stir up a problem that already existed in their marriage and that is the fact they had poor communication. As they grew apart from one another, they, they talked less and less and less. You, you may remember that Rebecca incites her son Jacob to deceive his father Isaac in order to get that traditional blessing that belonged to the firstborn son Esau. Remember that story? Here are these two twins, all right? They, they were twins. Both came out at the womb pretty close to the same time. Uh, Esau came out first. Remember the Bible says he was red and hairy. Huh? And then his brother Jacob came out right after him and he was holding on to his brother's heel as he came out of the womb. Well, Esau is the oldest, maybe just by a few seconds, but he is the oldest one. And back in those days, before the father died, he would give the blessing to the oldest son. This was a big deal. He would bless the older son. He would, he would kind of give, give the family blessing over to the oldest boy and whatever was left went to the second son or the third son. This was a big deal. Isaac's getting old. His, his, his eyesight is kind of leaving him and he's, he's, he's evidently kind of bedridden. He called his oldest son in who was his favorite Esau. Remember that? It's his favorite son. They had favorites. Why was Esau his favorite? He was a hunter. He was a woodsman. He liked to go out and hunt. And he cooked up some savory venison. Daddy liked that. Mm, big stew. So he said, hey, son, go out, kill me a deer, bring it back, cook it like you cook it, like I like it. Uh, you feed it to me, and I'm going to give you 
the blessing. Well, Rebecca heard this, and the wheels are turning. She didn't want that blessing to go to the eldest son. She wanted it to go to her favorite, her boy. And so she called Jacob in. She said, Jacob, we're going to deceive your daddy. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to go out there and get one of those goats. I'm going to cook it like he likes to eat wild meat. You're going to take it in. You're going to give it to him. You're going to feed it to him. You're going to steal your brother's blessing. Now, Jacob's no dummy. He said, Mama, come on. I mean, the meat might fool him, but he's going to touch me. He's going to hold my hand as he blesses me. And, and the big difference between me and Bubba is he's hairy. I'm not. Rebecca said, no big deal. We'll take care of that. She, she says, somehow or another, she formulated some ancient glue. I don't, I don't know how she concocted it, but she had some kind of glue. And she took the, the hair of that goat and put it on Jacob's hands and his chest and you know the rest of the story. He went in, fed his dad, deceived his dad, stole his brother's blessing. Woo, man. There's trouble in the tent now. Hmm. But such is the unhealthy, deceptive communication that developed in this family. They're not comforting one another now. They're not loving on each other now. What are they doing? Deceiving one another, lying to one another. And as you study their biblical marriage album, you will see that they, they just quit communicating. I mean, they did talk to God. Genesis 25, 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. God was, uh, uh, Isaac was talking to, to his heavenly father. He was praying to God. Rebecca prayed to God as well. When she became pregnant with the twins, they were fighting inside of her. The Bible says this in Genesis 25. The babies jostled with each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the other will serve the younger. Now folks, I don't know about you but I'm reading this and I think this is important stuff right here what God just told Rebecca is it's important information about God's sovereign plan for the nation of Israel of which Jacob would be the father but here's the interesting thing it's not recorded anywhere in the Bible that she actually gave this information to her husband or even talked to him about it in fact, as we read this story, it becomes very apparent she never told her husband anything like this. Why? Probably because they quit talking. Here's, here's an important truth. If you are married, it is imperative that you as a husband and wife talk to each other about spiritual matters. This was a spiritual matter, but she didn't talk to her husband about it. In fact, I, I really think that's where most marriages go awry if they're a Christian marriage. Husbands and wives stop talking about spiritual things together. If you come to me for marriage counseling, I, I'll tell you right now what I'm going to tell you. What you and your spouse need to do if you're having problems is sit down together as a husband and wife and read the Bible together. You need to pray together. You can't fix your problems without God being in the middle of it. 
Well, they'd quit talking to each other. Now, they were still physically intimate with one another. How do I know that? Genesis chapter 26 tells us because of a famine, Isaac had to take his family to the land of the Philistines for food to survive. And, and <laughs> man, this is crazy, but when he gets there, he, he tells the king of the Philistines that Rebekah's not really his wife, that he said, hey, she's my sister. Why? Because she's still pretty good looking. She's, she's, she's fine looking. She's a babe. And he's thinking, man, if I, if I tell these pagan people that that is my wife, they're going to kill me to get her. So they can have this plan, say, you know, we're just brothers and sisters. But Genesis 26, 8 says, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and he saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. And so he called Isaac in and said, dude, why'd you lie to me? I mean, that's not your sister because you were kissing her, man. You know, it's got to be your wife. Why, why in the world would you do that? Well, I don't know why he did it. But you know what? What we find out is there's not much communication between Isaac and Rebecca. They talk to God. They, they remain physically intimate with one another. But the communication was out the tent. There is only one account of Rebecca ever speaking to her husband in the word of God. And this comes when Rebecca warned Jacob that Esau was enraged because Jacob had stolen his blessing from him. And so Rebecca told her favorite son, Jacob, I want you to go to my brother Laban's house and stay there until your brother Esau cools off. To disguise her true intentions, she goes to her husband and tells another lie. And here are the only recorded words spoken in Scripture by Rebekah to her husband. Genesis 27, 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because of these cotton-picking Hittite women. But y'all are asleep. You didn't. Yeah, that's my translation. Thank you, Jason, for listening. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Now, interesting to me, the first and only words we have of Rebecca speaking to Isaac are this, I am disgusted. <laughs> oh, you got to laugh at that, don't you? Apparently not. These, these are the only recorded words spoken from Rebekah to her husband Isaac. Well, what is even more tragic than that? There is no record of Isaac ever speaking to Rebekah in the Bible. Now, you know, I, I know they had to have talked. I'm sure when they first got married, they talked all the time. But you know what? Probably as time went on, if they were typical of most marriages, those conversations became less and less. I know I have stopped preaching and now I'm meddling. And I'm about to tick some of you off. I, I understand that. But you know what? We need, we need to face up to this, folks, because it is a huge problem in most marriages today. People just quit talking. Whenever I go out to eat at a restaurant, I, I always make it a habit to look around at the people who, who are in the restaurant and see what's happening at their tables. And you know what I'm seeing more and more of? of family sitting together, husbands and wives not, not talking at all. Most of the time we're on our devices, aren't we? 
and there is no communication between family members. But, but many times I'll see husbands and wives, older couples, who apparently have been married for years, and sometimes they sit through an entire meal. I've seen this happen over and over again. Husband and wife sitting across the table from each other in a restaurant, they eat their whole meal and they never say a single word to each other. They pay the bill and they get up and leave. Apparently, Isaac didn't talk much to his wife. Not a single word of anything Isaac ever said to his wife, Rebecca, is recorded in the Word of God. Now, you might think, well, preacher, you're, you're just, you're reading too much into what's not seen in Scripture. Well, I know how couples are. Fact is that many of the problems in marriages today involve a silent husband. Oh, my. Sometimes the man may be naturally quiet or simply doesn't have much to say or it could be that he can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Sometimes men don't know how to open up and communicate in a healthy way with their wife or their kids. Sometimes men don't talk to their wives because they're preoccupied with their own life or with their job or with their hobby or with sports. But men, listen to me. What we need to know is our wives need that kind of emotional openness from us as their husbands. So even though this may be an oh-me time for you and your family and you and your wife, listen, guys, we, we all need to work on this, every one of us. And the same can be the case for the wife. Remember, we're told back at the beginning of their relationship that, that Rebecca comforted Isaac. Where'd that go? I mean, where did that tender concern go? It, it, it seems that Isaac and Rebekah grew apart through the years. No longer loving, no longer tender, no longer communicating. What's happening now? They've, they've chosen their favorite kids. They're not talking. And when they do talk, they're lying to one another. Well, whatever the case... I think, I think we can all learn to be better communicators in marriage. No, listen to me. No matter how bad your marriage is right now, it can get better. And no matter how good it is, it can get better. But I'm telling you, it all starts with talk. You've got to communicate. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close this morning and just give you a few simple principles about communicating in marriage, all right? Do you like that word close this morning? I'm going to close this morning. Just real, five really quick things. Jot these down. Here's how you do it. You pull, you don't push. You pull, you don't push. You open yourself up to your mate. You pull your mate in close to you. You don't push them away. You, you can't force somebody else to talk to you, even your mate. But you can let them know how important it is by opening up your own life. So you pull them, you don't push them. Number two, you accept, you don't judge. When your mate talks about his or her feelings, remember what they're talking about. They're talking about the way they feel. Okay, that, When they tell you their feelings, that's it. They're, tell, they're telling you how they feel, and you can't deny that. The issue is not so much whether they are justified or not justified. Those are their feelings. 
So you accept their feelings without judging them. So guys, when your wife tells you how she feels or what frustrates her, you don't need to respond back by saying, you don't need to feel that way. Stop feeling that way. That's the way she feels. Number three, disagree, but do it with respect. Here's the problem with most of our marriages. We don't know how to fight fair. There will be fights. Amen. Come on. There are going to be disagreements. I mean, you can't take two people and, and put them in the same house together with same background, same, you know, different, different backgrounds, different tastes, different amb- all that kind of different stuff and expect it to just be milk and honey. There's going to be problems. We are going to disagree. But here's the deal. You, you need to disagree respectfully. You need to fight kindly, all right? Not with sarcasm, not with disrespect. You know, I mean, I can have a heated debate with you or we can, we can discuss issues that we don't agree about with one another, but when it deteriorates into to saying things that we shouldn't say, it's gone too far. You can't take words back, and words hurt. Just a couple of stories that come to my mind. We were at... Uh, uh, I don't. It was the meet of champions uh, track meet, and and uh, this I was I was out there going across this bridge to a to a parking lot, and here come this this whole entourage of people, and these voices were they, they were the loudest voices I've ever heard, and what it was was a mama talking to her daughter, and the mama was getting on to her daughter because the mama didn't think the daughter ran hard enough in the relay race, and she was flat chewing her out so that 300 people could hear the conversation. I mean, she was just letting this kid have it. She was saying things to this kid that no mama ought to ever be saying to their daughter in private or in public. And the poor little girl, I felt so bad for her until she opened her big mouth. And she was saying things to her mama. She was saying some things to her mama that no kid ought to ever say to their mama. Everybody heard it. Hard words, bad words. And, and instead of, you know, sitting down and discussing, you know, babe, I think you should have, you could have given it a little more effort out there, man. She was, <laughs> got a basketball game yesterday. I think this team was playing this team that we, we played for years, uh, and they've always beat us until yesterday. We beat them. In fact, that other team never got the lead on us, man. We, we beat them from the get-go. And the coach that was on that other team, he's, he's always taken pride and joy in beating our team. He loves to beat our team. He's always happy and joyful, but he wasn't happy yesterday. And towards the end of the game, Lucas, when he discovered his team wasn't going to come back and they weren't going to win, I mean, it just he vomited all his frustrations out on that court. He started yelling at those refs, and him and this one ref got into it. And I mean, the, the whole gym was so quiet. It's like it is right now. You could hear a pin drop. And they were yelling back and forth at each other. The, the ref gave him a technical, and man, it just, it really gushed out then. He told that ref what he thought of him and how sorry he was. He was the ref, worst ref he'd ever seen, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting up there freaking out, man, thinking, 
dude, really? You're, you're saying words that you can't take back. You're saying words that hurt. Not that you're just disagreeing. You're, you're, you're de- they were demeaning one another. And it dawned on me when that happened. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? That's what happens in a whole lot of marriages. We don't know how to fight right. And when we do fight as a husband and wife, sometimes we say things that we don't need to be saying. Can I tell you something? Here's a little secret. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. Lord had mercy. If, if I, Gary, if I said to Angie all the things I've ever thought of saying to her, when the police officer would come to our house and look at the dead corpse, she would say, Officer, he slipped and fell on that night. And the officer counting would say, but there are 87 stab wounds in his chest. (laughs) You with me? You disagree, but you do it with respect. Number four, seek to understand, not not just to be understood. I I read the story about this elderly couple sitting together one day. The husband's hearing was kind of going bad. So his wife leaned over and whispered in his ear, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Well, the husband looked back at her with a puzzled look on his face, and he says, well, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) You know, it's easy to obsess over the fact that, that you don't think your mate understands you. And maybe they don't understand you, but, but what would happen if you just put that aside and you became obsessed with understanding your mate? That would change things. Number five, listen, don't dominate. You can, you can never become maybe the talker that your spouse wants you to be. Maybe, maybe it's just not in you. You know what? You can do the most important thing. You can become a good listener. Hmm? In fact, I think listening is better than talking anyway. You need to learn to be a good listener. Husbands, your your wife needs you to listen to her with undivided attention. That, that, that that, That means that you're looking at her with both of your eyes, not one eye on her and the other on the TV, you know. You know, guys, maybe that's all she's really asking for anyway, that you listen. Well, in spite of their marriage struggles, and they had a few, God still used Isaac and Rebekah in his redemptive plan. That's, that's, that's pretty cool to me. Because you know what that goes to tell me? No, no marriage is perfect. Even though the ones that we think were made in heaven, they still have to be fleshed out on earth no no I mean no marriage in this room is perfect but the good news is if it's bad it can be better and the better news is if it's good it can be great but you've got to work at it you've got to work and I think it really starts when we decide on days like today that we're gonna we're gonna come to the altar And we're going to commit our life and our marriage to Christ. That's when it turns. That's when it gets better.
Heavenly Father, help us to do that today. Lord, if there's someone here in this room who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they would come and be born again. Lord, if there's a Christian here today,